And we're live. Everybody, how you doing? Oh, hey. so good. Thank you for inviting me. No problem. It's going to be great. So we're talking, uh, talking about Boston. Uh, yes. And the Twitter that so everyone's been seeing going on. Yeah. How did that start exactly, Ace? Like, What was the first thing that kicked you off? Honestly, I'm trying. That's a very good question. I'm trying to remember exactly what happened. I honestly, to be honest, I don't remember what first happened, but I know these people. Yeah, yeah honestly, I'm trying to remember. I don't remember where it started. It's like an Ouroboros. It's just this infinite loop. It's just. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. So let's just start off with the uh, hardest question. Uh, Ace, why do you keep comparing women to uh, boats, planes, and uh, balloons? <laughs> oh, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So, okay, the amount of, this was really frustrating to me, like, no matter how many times I had to, like, clarify it. So, so uh, seriously, though, like, the amount of times people were trying to tell me that, well, no, this isn't the same because it's, you know, they're different things. Well, yes, obviously, they're different <laughs> things. I, if, if they were the same thing, there would be no reason to compare them, right? Yeah. Like, there'd be no reason for an analogy at all. So uh, I, I do want to make it clear, like, um, um, assuming people know, or maybe we should, like, do you want to, like, talk about what the thing, what the discussion is first, or do you want to, like, just jump into it? Let's talk about a little bit about what it is. So okay, talk about a talk about a Boston. Uh, I think we all come at it from a little bit a different angle. I come at it of religious, religious Christian kind of the Catholic viewpoint. Uh, uh, what, what do you guys come at it from? Let's start with uh, Carrie. Where do you, uh, how do you derive, you know, your pro life view? Well, um, I'd say I, I used to take a religious bent. Um, I'm Protestant, though, not Catholic. Um, but now my position is completely philosophical. Um, and I guess for those in your audience who don't know, um, I've uh, I, I debated Walter Block on this point. So, um, you know, I've gone toe to toe with him on the on a libertarian, specifically libertarian perspective. But yeah, my my view is is primarily philosophical and scientific. Mm -hmm. Nice. Ellie, what about you? Um, that would be the same. I started, it was more like, you know, you kind of inherit your beliefs from your parents. Mm -hmm. And then at some point you have to go, all right, I need to own these. Um, and I, and I go, okay, do I hold this belief only because of what I was taught and because I believe that, you know, everything originated from God, yada, yada, or is there an actual, philosophical scientific case for this and so i set about trying to uncover that and that's how i ended up here ace what about you yeah so i kind of take a more philosophical view of it too where it's like i actually the arguments i'm using actually against abortion are actually the ones for um walter block would use in in favor of it a lot so i i um i came across his eviction argument years and years ago and i thought i had i knew i had problems with it but i the more i thought about it, the more i was able to articulate why and I, that's why I often use some of the similar analogies he uses uh, in favor of it, actually, as a lot reason why I oppose it. Mm. Nice, nice. So, what kind of, um, what are the common on. arguments that you guys hear? Because like, there's a lot of common arguments people bring up. But like, what, what do you say is the most common argument people throw at the uh, pro-life position? Uh, Carrie, you want to go first? The the most common argument from the what from the conventional pro life side is that what uh, you're sorry, asking uh, against the pro life side from the pro choice side oh from the pro choice side well I think the probably the the predominant view right now is just that a fetus doesn't have a right to occupy the mother's womb I think that's probably the most popular at this point um, you know some variant of my body my choice mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah I, I would oh go ahead sorry no go ahead. 
I was going to say, yeah, I agree. I think it's probably like they couch it in terms of bodily autonomy, um, which it's like when I was arguing with them on Twitter, it's like I was not denying the bodily autonomy of the mother. Right. That, that's not that's actually not what any of this is about. It's about the bodily yeah. autonomy of the of the fetus, if the fetus has a right to its body. So that's essentially, in my opinion, the crux of the, uh, the argument. Yeah. Ellie, does anyone add to that or? No, basically the same thing. One thing I've noticed is is that they're all what I'm encountering lately. They're all emotionally driven. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an emotional topic, and they devolve. I mean, it's just claim after claim after claim. No one has an argument that can support. You know, that's why I cling to when somebody finally comes up with at least something interesting. Okay, let's look at this. You know, I'll dive head first. Like I'm, I'm mm-hmm. desperate for that because there is no argument. It's just, but well, I want it to be this, so it is. Yeah, and both both sides, to be fair, both sides of the conventional debate, what I call the conventional debate, yeah. um, both pro-life and pro-choice are incredibly emotionally charged and morally outraged and just, you know, screaming past one another. Um, I think it's important, though, to point out to those people who claim bodily autonomy that it's because of bo- bodily autonomy that the fetus has a, a right to to live and even right. a right to occupy the mother's womb. Um, unfortunately, I think the conventional pro-life side gets it wrong by saying, oh, you're making this argument for bodily autonomy and you believe it results in the right to abort. Ergo, a woman doesn't have a right to bodily autonomy and that's not true either. Um, so I think it's, I, I think it's important that we maintain very consistent, consistently bodily autonomy for both the woman and the fetus. Yeah, and that is something that I noticed a lot. Like the, not only the very emotional, but the all the arguments are they can. I'm trying to figure out how to put this correctly. Like you said, when, when people bring body autonomy, the conservatives who are traditional for life, they either come out like I, I hate I hate I hate seeing them do it, debate honestly because like I agree with their position and they come at it and they'll just say the proscripts of us and then they're actually that said it is and then they say women don't have right to body autonomy and it's like you've you butchered my side. Stop right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, so, what, what kind of arguments do you guys like to use? Like, how do you, how, if, some, if you had a friend who was pro choice, what kind of arguments do you try to use when it comes to actually not just like uh, making fun of someone or so and how dumb they are or trying to mock them? Kind of say, like, what is the actual argument you use to try to convince a pro choice? So, well, it just it depends on the situation, you know, and it depends yeah. on who they are. Mm-hmm. I, I vacillate between being like painstakingly empathetic. And then also, you know, I get like I am right now, I'm in the middle of a really, really long, tedious, throwing, hurling claims and hurling claims. And I'm just like, okay, 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 you know. And so I blow those off and those are for the audience, you know, more than anything else. But but really it depends on the person. It depends on the the circumstance and what, what angle they're coming from, you know, trying to, diffuse the emotionalism is really important to getting them to see it for what it is. And, and so that's where I use analogies the same way that Ace does um, to try to get them. Okay. Let's, let's think about this in a situation that's not emotionally charged um, to get them to acknowledge that yes, rights, you know, your bodily autonomy is limited by the rights of the people around you. You It's not, 
it's not absolute. You can't swing your fist and bludgeon a toddler with it. You know, um, you they have the right to not be harmed and that supersedes your right. Your rights are naturally limited. And so really it comes down to trying to get them to see that one way or yeah. another, it has to boil down to that. Yeah. Mm. I 100% agree. Yeah. I, I probably do it a little bit differently. I, uh, I very much pick my battles. If I can see that somebody's emotionally charged, I won't touch it. Cause there's, you know, at that point, it's like, if, if they aren't going to en engage in a dialogue with me, it's, it's rather pointless. Um, but for those who are willing to engage in a dialogue with me, usually I try to find out what it is that's important to them on the topic. Um, and it can be any, and anything from, you know, the, the problem of abusive relationships or rape or poverty or, you know, the, the uh, reasons that, that women typically seek out abortions to begin with. And then we talk about, you know, how do you resolve those outside of um, just ending the life of your, of your unborn baby? Um, there's two sides of the or two questions I think that are at stake in the debate. One is of course the legality question, but the other question is how do you actually end the practice of abortion, which is an economic question. Um, and the conventional pro-life side doesn't like to talk about abortion in terms of economics because they think that that gives it credence. Um, but if it's also an economic problem, then we can talk about it in terms of you know human action and finding alternative solutions. What can the market provide? That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, and usually I will also agree with them when it comes to enforcement problems on the legal question. I'm definitely anti-authoritarian when it comes to enforcing abortion prohibition. I think every libertarian should be opposed to that. Um, and so I think that that helps gain some common ground with, with some of these, uh, some on the pro-choice side. Yeah, that is definitely something that gets, um, frustrating because you talk to a conservative about, you know, there's a bunch of conservatives. I'm a paleo guy. I talk to a lot of conservatives and you bring up your pro-life and you say, I don't like the abortion laws. I want to, you know, make abortion obsolete. Mm -hmm. It's not necessary. And they just lose their cool. Like on that topic. <laughs> Ace, you had a tweet about uh, abortions no longer being like medically necessary. Was that a what was it? What was it? You, yeah, what was it exactly. So, so my point, and I actually got some criticism from some like right wingers from this, and it was uh, I wasn't surprised by it, but it was a I, I feel like they kind of misunderstood me. Um, so I, my tweet was essentially like, look, in 30 or 50 years, we're going to have like more than likely we're going to have artificial wombs and we're likely going to be able to extract the fetus safely out of the mother into an artificial womb. And this is going to drastically cut down on the number of uh, unborn children who are murdered normally by abortion. And this would be like the next best thing possible. Um, and this would, this will be a great thing, uh, practically speaking. Um, I, and I got a little bit of flack because they, um, like some conservatives thought it was like really gross and kind of dystopian and I can understand. Yeah. Like, I saw imagery. the transhumanism critique. I was like, what? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, ultimately at the end of the day, the conventional pro-lifers want, they want women to want their babies. So they want, you know, they want to solve the problem of wantedness rather than saying, how do we solve the problem when there's an unwanted pregnancy to begin with? Because you're not going to be able to solve unwantedness. That's yeah. just, uh, yeah. again, in economic terms, that's just preference. There's nothing wrong with a woman who doesn't want to be pregnant. Right. 
and that, that I like I uh, like analogized it to like adoption, right? Though like transferring the fetus into the uh, into an, like an artificial womb, it's not t like that far away removed from like adoption itself. So. Sure. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's something that we as libertarians are kind of like in this space. Like it's we're all, like, even when we're pro life, we're still arguing to conservative about this. It's um, how do I put this? I wrote it down, but I lost my notes. <laughs> um. My, I had somebody who's Catholic. I do a, uh, a lot with the Catholic pro-lifers, and I think they're great because they are some of the most consistent. But also, when it comes to like the arguments, like they also want to outlaw uh, contraception, mm -hmm. you know. And it's like they, they like, I try to explain to them, like, hey, if you want to outlaw all from the contraception, you're going to probably lead to increase in abortions. You know, like, no, it wouldn't. It's like I, they don't actually want to increase the numbers. Like, right. I, this is the only time I get utilitarian talk about numbers is like when it comes to abortions, you should want less of them. Whatever right. that is should be the answer. And they also principled in their tradition. They just refuse to accept anything that's not reverting back to the old days where everyone you know wanted their kids. It's so how, how do we let's not talk about dealing with pro lifers for a little bit. Like how do we come at these how do we, how do we talk to these pro life people who are kind of in that staunch traditionist we need to solve the problem of wantedness? Like how do we communicate with these people? Oof. <laughs> um it's it's so hard because they can be they can be just as militant as some of the you know pro-abortion crowd. Yeah. Um, it's so difficult. They get so morally outraged, and it's like, I mean, I've even I've I've heard them say things like, um, you know, we should have a war on abortion, and it should just it, it should look just like the war on drugs. And I'm like, more? <laughs> like really? You want abortion to win? What? I know. What is this? It's it's like um, you know sometimes the way they talk about women, it's as though they're just incubators. They're sort of secondary. Um, and really, what I want to say to these people is, um, especially in light of, of COVID nineteen and what we've experienced been experiencing with that, is when when the object of state interest resides or potentially resides inside of you, then suddenly you disappear. And we're seeing that like real time. Um, and so for those, con you know, conservatives who tend to be more about, you know, at least about, you know, American ideology and mythology, um, the idea that we have a constitution, we have constitutional rights. It's like, you can't see how a woman disappears when the focus is all on the fetus. Yeah. Like we should be able to see that very clearly now. And given that, given that we're demanding our bodily autonomy um, when it comes to choices regarding um, infection, uh, it's not unreasonable that a woman would want choices and bodily autonomy when it comes to her unwanted pregnancy or just pregnancy to begin with. I mean, there's already enough medical paternalism out there um, as it is. So I think, you know, uh, if, if we're going to use analogies, we should use the very real example of what's going on with, with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Great point. I, I think trying to like, um, um, like, uh, get to write uh, like uh, more conservative types who are like, uh, come at that from a, like a, a slightly different pro-life side would be like, I don't think they're wrong necessarily to want to strike at the core root, which is uh, like uh, not wanting the child. Right. I think that's a very noble goal, but I think, um, they shouldn't, uh, you know, th they should always be aware that, okay, we, is, if we're taking steps in the direction of 
where like um, there are certain activities or certain like technological market incentives or innovations that are um, like saving more children on average. I think that's just a net benefit, net win overall. Yeah. Like, I, like, I don't think you should like, you can still like go for that goal, but I don't think you should criticize, um, you know, these other things that might actually help, you know, um, would be mothers in the first place. Yeah. What are some of the dumbest arguments you guys have heard from the uh, abortion side? Oh, some pharmacists. What are the dumbest things you've heard? Uh, well, um, <laughs> there are a lot of them. Um, for one, like one I kept getting kind of annoyed by um, over time was when um, um, they kept telling me that I was rejecting uh, the woman, like the mother's bodily autonomy. And I specifically interjected over and over that that was not the reason why. Right. Like if I was just like that wasn't even a consideration. I start from the point of bodily autonomy and then I move forward in the argument. Um, and, and also the um, they, they gave me this one um, thing where it's like, well, when I, I posed a hypothetical thought experiment to them to like see if they would apply the same standard they applied to abortion in other cases, like conjoined twins, as was one of the examples I gave. And they kept telling me, well, that's so rare. That almost never happens. It's like, well, okay, that's not the point of the thought experiment. The right. thought experiment is to right. elucidate they're some not underlying. The same. Right. They're yes. not the same thing. Rape, rape is also rare. Right. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Not in the world, guys. <laughs> I, I hate so much when you say things like, so when is it a, a fetus become a baby? You know, six months, mm -hmm. seven months, eight months. Like, no abortion happens in eight months. It's like, that's not the question. That's not the, yeah, that's not the, <laughs> right. That's, yeah. Or, or the people trying to, like, like when, uh, when they were criticizing my analogy, they kept trying to say that I was trying to say that women were planes or they were just objects. Like, it's yeah, like, I saw no. that. that's why the stream is called Both Planes and Hot Air Balloons. Oh, that, there you go. That's good. That's good. Yeah, but they kept trying to say that I was trying to say that women were like planes. And I'm like, no, I, technically, if you want to get really technical here, I compared women to pilots. I didn't compare them to planes, first right? off. So, so, uh, they keep conflating. I'm having that right now. They keep conflating, okay, there's the person and there's the property of that person. And there's the, you know, and they keep, right. they keep flip-flopping back and forth as it suits them to yeah. try to shore up their own, you know, their own position and their own beliefs, basically just kind of building a wall around themselves. But right. like, do you constantly get right now? I'm constantly like every other tweet is you don't understand consent. Well, that's not consent. Well, the mother doesn't consent to right. be like, guys, consent has nothing to do with involuntary no. bodily functions. Like, right. <laughs> your heart beats whether you want it to or not. You right. have to act to end it. <laughs> you know, there's right. consent has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, and so they confuse that a lot. Oh, yeah. And they also confuse, you know, bodily autonomy because it's like if I'm saying that you can, because I, I my my position on this was that the mother does have the right to evict, but she you can't kill in the process because that would be disproportionate, right? That'd be disproportionate mm -hmm. force. And they kept saying, well, no, because uh, you know it's my body, I can do what I want. And when every time I pose the conjoined twin um, analogy, or like if some mad scientist stitched one of us together. It's like, okay, right? does the other out. person, yeah, they freak out. Does the other person have a right to kill? Like, does, do, do they both have a right to kill each other in some sense, right? Because they're, yeah. they're using each other's body without their consent. It's like, well, I would not, I would think no, that'd be disproportional, right? Even, even if both have a right to separate from each other, that would, uh, so yeah, they, they tend, they tend to straw man that argument a lot from what I've seen, but it's well, just and all I can, I can only take right to evict mm -hmm. from a, constructed premise, right? Yeah. If I accept that trespass was present, right. then right. they have a right to evict. 
Yeah. But I have never found anyone that can prove trespass. Trespass by definition requires entry. They never right. enter. They right. were put in that position. They were created there. They've done nothing. I, I uh, that's a very good point too. Because I, like I was even granting them trespass just to say that. That's like, what I mean. If it, like I yeah, even if it was trespass to be able to say okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't even grant trespass. Right. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> like, even if I, I granted small. trespass, I still don't think that gets them to the point of where they want to be. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so, no, yeah. and you're you're absolutely right about that. Um, even if we grant trespass, it's um, it's not a proportional response. Mm -hmm. Um, at the very least, you uh, you have to wait for viability before you evict and you're on the hook for finding a suitable alternative That's right. um you know be it uh an adoptive parent or a surrogate or an artificial womb or or whatnot so um because you did this not right. the fetus. I also thought it was pretty funny because um, over time they kept saying how my analogy wasn't uh like apt or whatever and I the more I thought about it, I'm like you know what actually you're right in one way um it's not even like a normal trespasser because the baby can't leave. So it's actually more like a prisoner if you want to play this game. Right? Yeah. I mean, and, but they're like, oh, well, that's that wouldn't happen. But that's exactly the situation you've created just because it's unique in nature. Right. Doesn't mean that that human, you know, the, the rights that that define the limits of human interaction don't apply to it. Right. Well, and and, you know, if if the fetus is potentially a trespasser or a criminal against the mother, then we were all criminals, you know, to oh begin God. with, all of us were criminals to begin with. And if that's the case, then all of us have rights, not based on our humanity, not inherent in our humanity, but because our mothers decided to recognize them. And that's just, that's just matriarchy. Right. Um, so that yeah, doesn't, I don't know if I like that. Huh? Some of them would probably like that, the feminist crazy ones. No, you're right. <laughs> the uh, well, the I'll, I'll tell you the Christian uh, the the Christian feminist argument is based on the notion that the woman has a divine right to choose who will be born. Wow, well, I have never heard that before. Yep. That's a rabbit hole I'm going to have to go down. Wow. Yeah. The uh, wow. the philosopher who came up with that one, her name is Beverly Wildung Harrison. Um, you can find uh, she's got a book called uh, Our Right to Choose. And, you know, she does argue for bodily autonomy, a divine right to bodily autonomy. She just overstates it and says that mm -hmm. that's extended to choosing who will be born. But see, how, do, how does she reconcile then? And, and you don't have to answer if this is a rabbit hole for another day. But how would she reconcile? How can she state, you know, and claim bodily autonomy? but not bodily autonomy. Like if, if you, so is it only women have the right to bodily autonomy? So yeah. So she, she relativizes the, the okay. autonomy of the fetus. And she also makes, she makes this, um, you know, she's arguing from this idea of, you know, women are victims of the patriarchy. And I mean, she wrote this way back in 1984 and it totally sounds like, you know, woke <laughs> nonsense today. These, these white privileged elite and, <laughs> All of that. So basically, it's an argument that you know women are victims of of misogyny and um, and lack of privilege, and mm. because of that, they have to have a right to abort in order to really truly have their their right to bodily autonomy. Wow. I never heard any of this before. I wow, <laughs> the Christian feminist argument. I, I just... Oh, there, it's crazy. Wow. That's gonna be that's nuts. 
Yep. It's scary. It's scary. You know, finding out what beliefs are actually floating around out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. So since we are pro life, I think we have everyone who uses the word pro life to identify this person, correct? No one's having any new terms. I don't for have everyone. any problems with it. No. Yeah. Everyone no. gets pro life. So uh, inherent the pro life argument that we believe it's a life, do we all group life begins at conception or do we, uh, any of us draw different lines on the uh, starting point? The only deal I'm still waffling a little bit between conception and first cell division, but other than that, Mm -hmm. it's like it's within you know 12 hours of each other. So, so um, I always I always say that life begins the moment conception is complete. Um, What I've found is that conception is actually a three day process that begins with fertilization, Mm -hmm. and because you can have you can have a fertilized egg that never. Uh, that never never, com- or, yeah. never completes that process of of conception, and so what's interesting about that process, though, is there's something they call the maternal zygotic transition, uh, which is where the uh, the embryo transitions from in- genetic instructions from the mother to genetic instructions from the zygote, so that by the end of conception the zygote is completely autonomous and self-organizing. So from that point forward, development is actually driven, driven by the zygote. Mm-hmm. Um, even the, the uh, placenta and umbilical cord are created by baby. Yeah. Um, so I think there's, there's no reason to, to say that it's any time after that. When, that. when that process is complete, it's completely independent of, of the mother. So I've never looked at it that way. What is the last step in that, that marks completion? Is it a cell division? Is it a, is it implantation? Is it? No, it's um, implantation usually takes about one to two weeks after conception. A week or so. Yeah. Um, So there's, there's, so one, one of the, one of the key things that you can actually identify um, in like a petri petri dish situation, is at the end of conception. There's something called a zinc spark. Um, it releases zinc, and under I think infrared light uh, or That's yeah, so cool. it there's actually a spark wow. of light when the zygote is is fully com- you know fully maturated. Yeah, not wow. maturated, but when that process is complete, there's a there's a spark of light because you're it's releasing the zinc. So it's it's definite it's a it's a definite time yeah. when it goes from um, you know these two two cells that are going through the process of mitosis. Um, it is a definite time when the zygote is has taken over. Yeah. Um, so that it's very clear. Yeah. I like that. It becomes more and the process of growing becomes more independent. I, I like that uh, as the defining point. That makes makes a lot more. A lot of people like I. I personally use the uh, like it's potentiality is person and it actualizes it doesn't metamorphosis grows naturally mm-hmm. so it kind of since it just develops along its course it's not transforming something it becomes human so it is human um, but I do I, I like the um, science arguments as I got and it's much more uh, yeah what's what's interesting about that maternal zygotic transition is that um, the uh, the genetic instructions for mom start to taper off as the zygotic tra- uh, instructions start start to turn on. And if you look at the development of 
born children up until full development, which is 25 years of age, you have that same sort of pattern, right? In the beginning, parents are have more control over baby. Um, and then when you get to about adolescence is when parents and children start, you know, testing each other's limits. And, and eventually you get to a point where, you know, you're just guiding your, your teen and your teen is starting to take over. Um, so you actually follow that, that same pattern as you, as you develop into an adult. Anybody have anything to add or? No, that was great. Oh my God, that was great. I, that was awesome. Was good. Um, You're so great, Carrie. <laughs> um, a lot of the arguments that I hear, a lot, a lot of them is that the fetus is robbing the muzzle of life and is uh, aggressing against it by, you know, siphoning off food and is a parasite. Even though it's not at all what a parasite is by definition. <laughs> and I, I don't know how many times I had to explain that. The parasite, I got so tired of it. It was ridiculous. It's like they refuse to accept definitions of anything. Right. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, if, yeah. If the fetus is a parasite, then I don't see how there's much of a distinction between like a child and a parasite. You know, I mean, yeah. if you wanted to accept their definition that the fetus was one, I mean, the child is also, you know, uh, um, you know, it's a one way transaction, but with resources for, you know, going one way practically. Yeah. So um, it, it's just not literally connected anymore. But it's that you still have to provide for your child, right? So uh, yeah, if they if they want to go down that feed that it's a parasite route, then that's going to go down a very dark road um, yeah. in regards to children. Well, the, the a parasite is literally a different species from, from human, right? Right. It's yeah. it's also it's also um, it's not biologically advantageous to have a parasite. Um, because it will deteriorate your health when, you know, in, in normal situations, um, being pregnant for a woman is actually biologically advantageous. Um, it, uh, there's incentive for, for the mother to uh, replenish her nutritive stores. Um, and, and that's actually a feasible thing to do when you're pregnant. If you have a parasite, it's constantly, uh, there's no way to actually replenish those stores because it's right. it's constantly drawing off of you. Um, it's malicious towards the body. It's not biologically advantageous, um, and it's a completely different species. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and a parasite doesn't just go. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this for a few months and then I'm gonna just fuck off over here. Yeah, right. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a permanent thing until it's exterminated. Um, yeah. Whereas procreation is not. Now, I I will grant them parasitic. I will entertain the discussion when they say parasitic. If if you know if they say it's a parasite, no, that has a definition and mm -hmm. it is a different species. So that's not even possible. But well, parasitic gives you some creative license, and and it can be you know like a parasite or you know and talking about the feeding off of, but but it all is boiling down to lately in the last few weeks, really militant. It's harming the mother. Right. It's, you know, it's killing every, her. It's blah. You every, know. every pregnancy is life threat, life threat. And in a panel, right. Every pregnancy. Like, now is it has a higher deadly weight. It's more deadly than COVID. It is, it's, it's <laughs> right. You know, someone I mean, actually that's was, not oh, saying sorry. much, but <laughs> um. <laughs> Someone was trying to tell me because I like they were talking about like how there's risk with it. And I'm my, my point was that there's risk with anything you do, right? Yeah, if you go outside, right. you're incurring more risk upon yourself. If you get in yeah. your car, 
you're incurring more risk upon yourself. And someone was trying to tell me, well, you know, going in a car and going on the road, that's not as risky as like, you know, uh, childbirth. And I, I pulled up the statistics and uh, 30, more than 30,000 people die more. every year on the road. Oh, yeah. And I think it was like last year in America or a couple of years ago in America, 800 women died in childbirth compared yeah. to 30,000 people on the road. That's well, and risk, risk is risk is the whole reason why uh, women are supposed to make, you know, conscious decisions about what they do with their body. Like, um, are, if it's that risky, then, you know, why are you choosing to have sex or why are you choosing to at least why are you choosing to do it with that guy over there? <laughs> you know, it's like you should be a little bit more discretionary if, if you're really concerned about how big this risk is. Yeah. No. And I, yeah. I'm trying to get at the underlying, what is, what is broken mm -hmm. in their empathy, in their, in their humanity that has them go, it's preferable to create a whole other human and just murder them at will to be well, able to have sex, how I want, when I want, like what's broken in you. Yeah. Psychopathic. Right. Well, and they also they also are saying now that um, because uh, because a baby cannot be made without sperm, then the pregnancy is entirely 100 percent the fault of the, the oh, yeah, I had the that father. Yesterday. I'm just like, oh, God, really? He's Come on. Like, what was it? Ejaculation causes pregnancy. I was like, let's yeah. look at that. <laughs> yeah. The 12 year old jacking off in a sock is not causing a pregnancy. Yeah. So let's be precise with her language. Well, and I keep on I keep on coming back to like, OK, you want to have bodily autonomy and agency. And yet you're trying to tell me that in all of these situations, you don't have bodily autonomy and agency. Like, why, why would you claim that? Why, why would you say that, you know, none of this is your fault? Uh, you know, you're not responsible for any of this. I get it. I get it when it comes to the rape, rape argument, right? That's, that's reasonable. But um, in situations where they chose to have sex, um, you can't just claim, oh, I'm a victim of nature or I'm a victim of men or I'm a victim of my own ignorance or, or whatever. That's just, yeah. you know, you either have agency or you're or you don't. And if you have agency, then you have some responsibilities over your actions. Right. It's like if I, you know, going back to the plane analogy, if I invited someone on my plane and then I kicked them out in midair, it would be like me saying, well, I only consented to have them on my plane. I didn't necessarily consent for them to be uh, safely landed. You know what I mean? It would be something right? like, like that. Right, like, no. Uh -uh. It's implied <laughs> yeah. that, you'll, that you'll land and let them off. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's why I mean, it's, it, I'm trying, I'm there. If anybody comes up with a perfect analogy, please share it with me. Right. Because I'm, I'm desperate. I'm, I'm coming up with so many. Right. Um, yeah. You know, and it's like, but, but the best I can come up with so far, because you know, you it's not drugging them and bringing them into you or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like inviting someone to dinner. Right. Mm -hmm. And you go out and you get them and you bring them to your home and you bring them in and you set them down and you, and you lay before them the food that you've prepared for them. Because you've created this fetus, you've, you've created a campsite for it inside your body, you know, and then you decide to murder your dinner guests the first time they put food because you're like, wait, no, that's my food. Right. And then you murder them for putting the, their, the food that you gave them yep. in their mouths. Like it's no. Right. 
That's the best I can come up with. So yeah, no, far. that's really good. Yeah. And I, I kept trying to use different ones on them because I wanted to see which yeah. one would get them to, you know, see. Yeah. We're bordering uh, on spaghetti ev- logic here. Just trying, right. Like, get it yeah, exactly. <laughs> every time spaghetti I brought, logic. every time I brought up the conjoined twins example, they went apoplectic. Like they that's really set them off. They were mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I don't know how many times I I had to explain like an object can refer to a person. Right. Like you, you can literally post a definition and they just ignore it. Right. It's like, Always. or if I was talking about the womb, they thought, oh, you just think women are wombs. It's like, no, I'm talking about the womb. I'm not. <laughs> right. Like, the person you can't is use the, it's who's. Like, right. do you understand that? Well, I own my body. Okay. <laughs> so you're saying you're not your body? Okay, good. <laughs> right. We've established that. Stop it. Gosh. Right. Yep. It's so my, one of my favorites is the sentient. I got thrown that one. That's an oldie but a goodie. Yeah, it's not sentient. So... My house plant is sentient. Like, right? No, guys. Have you yeah. have you bothered to look it up? Like, do you right. know what sentience yeah. is? Able to feel what? Right. Exactly. Anything. Yep. You know, um, there is there is one um, that this actually gets thrown around by like a lot of libertarians, which they'll say, and this is actually I think sort of Rothbard's point too. Um, where it's like, well, you know, re- killing the baby is just returning it. It's you're not doing more harm to the baby than its natural state. So I've had some people try to say, well, the baby's natural state is non-existence, but that's inherently contradictory. You can't you can't start at non-existence as the starting point, right? right? You can only start at existence. I've had people unironically try to argue that with me. That's so strange. I I would be like, so is your point. natural is your natural state non-existent? Right. Because so I exactly. Don't... <laughs> Can I? Do, yeah. Right. That's right. Exactly. Mine is naked and very small. It's not. <laughs> right. It's, like, <laughs> that just yeah. hurts my brain. Right. Oof. Yeah. Lots of oofs. Gosh. Yeah. It's and on both sides, you know. Yeah. The pro-life, the traditional pro-life side. The, the pro-abortion side. The, and see, that's the only reason that I hesitate a little bit when someone calls me pro-life or feel like I need to explain is because that's what comes to mind for most people. Mm-hmm. Is that traditional, oh, it's this religious person who wants to use government to force people mm-hmm. to carry their pregnancies to term. Like, right. first, that's not even how force works. But um, yeah. but I'm, I'm not that person. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, how do you, I wish there was a word for us. Well, I, I usually point out that I'm a, I'm a pro-life anarchist and that immediately, you know, sets off cognitive dissonance. (laughs) It's like, wait, wait, huh? It's like, okay, now I can explain Teach these people about ownership. God. Oh my gosh. Oh, a woman, no one has any right, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, then. But two tweets ago, you were like championing government force. Like, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. exercising ownership control over another person. Right. Yeah. Well, and I'd say I'm say I, I'd say I'm as critical of conventional pro-lifers as I am of conventional pro-choicers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the pro the the conventional pro-lifers have some doozies as well. Yeah. Um, and their some of their tactics, it's like, why? Yeah. Why do yeah. that? Like the, you know, the giant, the giant pictures of aborted fetuses. Yeah. Come on. <sighs> like, okay. You might get some, you, you might get some biology student on campus who's, you know, isn't turned off and disgusted by that. Um, but the pro-choice person who's turned off and disgusted by that is not going to start a conversation with you unless they're going to fight you. 
<laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's it's conservative virtual sig virtue signaling. Yep. Yes, honest. yeah. That's really what it boils down to. And you know, all this money that conservatives have spent over the years trying to overturn Roe v. Wade, imagine if they had instead taken that money and created like would-be like clinics for people who like uh, women who were poor, who were, who were would-be mothers, right? Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. Just, uh, that would have like, just practically speaking, that would have saved a lot more children than all that money they threw away to like the Heritage right. Foundation to lobby. Yeah. Circumvent the perceived yeah. need for yeah. abortion. Yep. Yeah. Well, and, and to be honest, I mean, the, uh, the pro-life, the pro-life movement is actually the most dismissive of crisis pregnancy centers, which is ridiculous because yeah. there are more crisis pregnancy centers in America than there are abortion clinics. And um, many of them provide tons of services that you wouldn't even actually think of. I've seen, I've seen uh, crisis pregnancy centers um, offer pro bono legal services for women in, abu in abusive relationships. So um, I, I think it's, they do a disservice by sort of keeping that on the down low until they're able to, you know, get, get the, 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 the person on the street corner to confess Jesus before they say, no, I don't want to have an abortion. <laughs> um, I'm just like, really? Like, um, but anyways, their, their tactics can be really bothersome, especially like, like you said, Ace, when it comes to mm -hmm. the Roe v. Wade stuff, I, I did an analysis of all of the, um, all of the Supreme Court cases re relevant to abortion since, uh, actually since just before Roe v. Wade. And the vast majority of them, Roe v. Wade included, were decided by Republican appointed Supreme Court justices. Right. So I lay legal abortion at the hand or at the feet of Republicans yeah. because there it's their it's their um, uh, Supreme Court appointments that have made it possible. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's ridiculous. I have talked to some Republicans and they'll say things like the Republican Party is a mess and terrible. And I agree more with the LP party, but abortion is the number one issue. So I have to vote Republican. And it's like, they haven't done anything for you. Right. What? The, like, yeah. Like even, I, I mean, I'll be like, even the, even the Libertarian Party with its pro-choice stance still wants to get with a government funded uh, pan-pan and stuff. Right. So like, even the Libertarian side, we got a little bit more pro-life than you are. Right. Like, yeah. It, it's, it's. Yeah. I don't get it. Um. I know this is what I've noticed a lot towards the end of any abortion debate when you kind of disillusion them of all their points and kind of show them they have no consistency, they always put the, I dedicate my next abortion to you. Which is always <laughs> just that. The, it's always is that the most disgusting shit you ever seen? Yeah. That's yeah, what I mean. What is yeah. broken? What is yeah. broken inside you? Yeah. You know, it's like when when the Taliban or whatever, you know, is is conditioning people to be these bloodthirsty what like what happened how did these women become right. so radicalized well it, it if you want my honest opinion i think yeah. that it's like it's like a um it's like a cornered cat they're they're incredibly defensive they don't actually know what it is that they believe they've mm -hmm. been yeah. told this is the cornerstone of women's rights um, they've been told that the state is the guarantor of their rights. Um, and I mean, this is one of my biggest grievances against feminists is that they went from 
your husband is the, is your provider too. The state is your provider. There was there was never any instance where women actually took owner, ownership of their rights and took ownership of their freedom and bothered to learn what it was. So you have a ton of women out there who have been told um, the state protects your rights. The cornerstone of those rights is abortion. And if you lose abortion, you lose everything. And so when you're talking to some of these these women, I think it's more like you're you're talking to a cornered cat. They don't know what else to do except to lash out. That's a really good point because I've I've noted for years um, as I've walked this path toward anarchism that you know you take a look around you and all of society, mm-hmm. not to mention you know specific people groups in their own ways, but all of society. We live in a pressure cooker mm-hmm. of, of coercion from cradle to grave. Yep. You know? And it's astonishing to me. It's a testament to the human spirit and its resiliency um, and, and just the species as a whole that we are not just murdering each other all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, The fact that we can adapt this well and cope to so much wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. What are going to say? Um as a point I wanted to make, but then I was thinking about, Oh, um, as someone who is a, a pro-life anarchist, has any of you guys ever had a status person say to you, like a conservative say, Oh, well, you care more about anarchism than pro-life. Cause if you actually believed in pro-life, you would want government enforcement of it. And under anarchism, there'd be more abortion. <laughs> I don't know if you guys, but I, I've heard that quite a bit. Um, I usually tell people statism is chaos. And so the best way to protect the unborn <laughs> Is polycentric legal order. Right. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> and right. then they go, what? They don't word it quite like that, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and if you just look at it like, uh, do you know how many, like, not just unborn children, but how many children overseas, like, they get murdered by U.S. military intervention uh, right now, yeah. right? Because it's like, you can always throw that in. And then uh, mm-hmm. if they're a, a Republican, they're probably going to hand wave that away or just not address it at oh, all. Oh, always, you know? always. So yeah. I think that's a good uh, retort um, um, to that. But uh, as Carrie said, you know, I, I think just in general, an anarchist society would just hand this handle this so much better. And there would be actual, like, market incentives and means and innovations just to at least drastically reduce it. Right. Yeah. I, I'm not saying you would ever get rid of it completely, but I'm saying that it, I think it'd be drastically reduced in an area yeah. society. Yeah. yeah. A lot of ones I've been noticing is a, they keep drawing the legal, like you're, you're saying killing or murder, or you say, you say any term to describe the destiny of fetus and no respond with, well, that's actually a legal term and does not apply to abortion. And they're all just wrapped into this like legalistic morality. They can't distinguish from the two. Oh, God, why, do yeah. You, yeah, what do you, why do you think that is? I can't well, figure it out. Well, most people are legal positivists, right? So they they only their moral sense is like what the whatever the law says at any right. time, right? So and it's just their like internal biases because the law agrees with them, so they're going to stand up for it. Um, uh, to a certain extent, though, like when when a lot of them were telling me, well, you know, this is the law, but they would tell me morality is subjective. But this is the law. But it's like, okay, well, okay, if morality is subjective, then how do you determine whether this is a good law or not, right? What basis do you uh, uh, place to, to determine whether this is a good law or not? Because you, if you're saying morality is subjective, my opinion on the law is just as valuable as yours then. So who who is right here, right? So well, and how can you if you're if you're speaking to somebody on the left, how can you be upset with uh, you know uh, 
corporations getting away with with what they do how or saying that um having no uh living wage is is immoral like how can you actually object to any aspect of the law if you're just gonna say morality is subjective like that doesn't even begin to make sense right basically all of their attempts lead to Absurdity, you know, logical absurdity somewhere or another. I actually did get one honest person to tell me in the conjoined twin example that, yeah, it would be okay for one of them to murder the other. Like, they actually admitted that. So that person was at least honest. Was this before or after the greatest line in Twitter history that you (laughs) unloaded? Which one was it? The transmogrifying magic tunnel. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was after. Yeah, that was. So, after. what is the vagina? Just a transmogrifying magic tunnel? Like that was the greatest thing I've Thank ever you. read. <laughs> I'm with the that one. <laughs> Crickets. That's so I mean, funny. I, yeah, that's that was actually the tweet that spawned it. They they found me from that tweet. I just remembered that's mm. how it started. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> well, it's got to be magical something, right? I mean, right for it to for it to. And use you as rights. Uh, rights on your way yeah. out, right? Yes. Yeah. So Here's what diploma. to the people who were cut out by cesarean? <laughs> oh. oh. They have to be injected after the fact with their rights. Right. Right. There you go. Ugh. Yeah, it's... I'm tired of it, honestly. I've been all like, is it what is the pro life stance? One thing I say when I was like a hardcore conservative. So I've been like doing abortion debates for, I don't know, only, only two years, but still, I'm tired of it. It's only mm-hmm. been two years. I can't, I don't want to do it anymore. Well, and one thing, one thing that they do, and both, both the pro-lifers and the pro-choicers do this, they try to make ethical arguments or metaphysical arguments for personhood, for example. Um, And, and, and then they try to project that onto the legal rights question without any sort of theory of how rights are derived in the first place. So they just they they just confuse the whole thing, right? They're starting over here. Um, I don't think it's intentional. I think that they really believe like the the ethics aspect of it. I really think they believe if it's ethical, then there should be a law. Right. Um, And so that's why you have, um, you know, pro-choice philosophers who are trying to argue that um, legal abortion is a is a matter of ethics. Um, and, you know, Marianne Warren was the one who came up with the, the personhood argument. She said, um, you know, even this, even if this is a human being, uh, this, it's not a person, it doesn't have moral agency, therefore it can't have rights. So they, they get it confused by talking about all of this over here and then saying, and that's why they, you know, it shouldn't be legal or it should be legal. Uh, without actually delving into a, a theory of rights. Yeah, I, I saw that all through my timeline. Well, no, it's a human being, but it's not a person, right? It was mm-hmm. like, okay, all right. Yeah, we've we've been America's been down that road for crying yeah. out loud, and yeah, we are event- revisiting. We are revisiting that right yeah. now. Like, why do we want to do that? Right. I don't, I don't remember who I, I went through. Part of my problem is I lose things. Um, collections of research and, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I lose social media accounts when I get banned. Um, but I lost my Facebook and I had so many debates on there and so much research gathered into notes and things. 
um, that I would use there first and before I came over to Twitter. And I remember doing um, a big one where I went and found a bunch of, because there, I had heard repeatedly that, that this idea that this is not a person, this is not a human, this is not a, a living being needs to be abandoned. And this was from the pro-abortion, like pro-choice advocates. The, the big names going out and speaking were saying, guys, stop. Enough is enough. The, it, the science is settled. It's a person. It's a human, you know. Um, but but it seems like it just hasn't caught on with everyone else. That's mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Like well, later, I don't know. I I think Have it has that too. Yeah. No, I think it hasn't caught on. First of all, it it started on the pro-choice side, but then the pro-lifers picked it up because they wanted to pass these personhood laws, right? Saying having the government define personhood is beginning at, at conception. Um, and I was opposed to that. I mean, I'm a pro-lifer and I was like, you don't want the government defining what personhood is. Like, right. how ridiculous is that? You you'll exclude people from it? No. Right. As soon as you, like, a law, laws are amendable. Like, if you actually pass that law, you're successful in passing a law that says personhood begins at conception. Um, when, you know, when the pro-choice side gains power in four years, they're just going to go in there and rewrite it and say, no personhood begins at such and such a a time. Um, so I'm not sure exactly why it's, it's, it hasn't caught on to, to either side that that's a terrible argument and we shouldn't shouldn't pursue it. Trying to, trying to dispel that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's terrible. I mean, you know, when I've, when I've talked about it in libertarian terms, I, I explained that, you know, a fetus is a self-owner, but self-ownership is not personhood. That's not the same thing. We're talking about what makes you a, a rights-bearing individual. Right. Um, that's a completely different question. When you talk about the philosophical, like the metaphysical debate of personhood, that's an interesting, it, it's just an interesting question because it's like, okay, what are all the things that constitute personhood? Let's talk about it. And then somebody, you know, Marianne Warren comes along and is like, oh, that's interesting. I think I'll use it in order to defend my view of abortion. Right. <laughs> um, so it's, but it's, it's a non sequitur, right? It's, yeah. Because yeah. it, it's like, you, that's a very good point. Because it's like, you know, people are still, philosophers are still debating like what personhood actually contains, like what are its essential qualities in the first place yeah. for human be for like born human beings, they're still debating this. So like yeah. trying to apply this one, it hasn't even been, you know, uh, you know, a they sign. can't even agree on what life is, guys. Right, like, yeah. I know. <laughs> right. I mean, it's such just it's this huge gamut. I'm fascinated with yeah, with self. And I, mm-hmm. how do you, how would you guys define self for you know the, the that what what you are, the essence of you? Oh man, I'm going to try. <laughs> I'm not even try. I have no clue, man. I think this is probably the hardest problem in philosophy, to be quite honest. It's one of the uh, top three for sure. I borrowed it. I borrowed mine from psychology. Okay. Um, there, I had a, I have a friend that we we were like sounding boards for each other, right? Mm-hmm. I can say this is what I think, and he'll help me cut through the crap and and hone it and and make it precise. Um, and we were trying to figure out what self was. I will use a singular subject of experience. That's a a, a large portion of psychology separates it that way. That's how you separate self from other Mm -hmm. because, and to give an example, even 
when it's conjoined twins, even when it's a mother to developing individual, um, you can both witness this. You can be at the same event and you each experience it slightly differently, right? You are a singular subject of experience. Um, And I thought that was really, that it was simple, but accurate. It doesn't get too in depth to where you could poke holes in it. You know what I mean? So like this, I am, we're all in this meeting together. We're all hearing the same things. We're all Mm -hmm. hearing the same words, the same people, the same arguments, but we're four distinct subjects of experience. Yes. Um, Oh, it was so enraging to me. That's just uh, hopping back to the debate for a second on Twitter. When people, when they were trying to say that the conjoined twins were one body. I thought it's you know what I mean. It's like that's they're what one I call person. the shared body, like shared ownership. They're not the same thing as a right. Single thing. They're not the same thing as a yeah. soul thing. Because they kept trying to tell me, well, no, they're they're not actually infringing on each other's bodies because it's one body. It's like no, they're two bodies stuck together. That's the point of the con- right? that's what that's what conjoined is in varying degrees. Even if it's just a little bit of skin, or it's yeah. sharing major organs, or it's yeah. whatever, they're still two distinct subjects of experience. Yes, they're just stuck together. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Anybody else want to try to define self or I, I, I think that was great. No, I, I, I agree I, with I that. Know. I, I'll just I'll just say well. Yeah, I'll just say part of my my research is on um this concept of identity and self. Mm-hmm. And um I think I mean the the simplest thing that I can say at this point is that it's non-reductive. You can't reduce it to quantity, you can't reduce yes. it to uh, I mean, even experience, and that's a, that's interesting because experience isn't just one thing, right? Yeah. Um, but you can't reduce it to mind. You can't reduce it to body. You can't reduce yeah. it to faith. You yeah. can't reduce it to uh, any of these these aspects. It's all encapsulated in one. Um, and so, you know, it's it's not reductive. We can't say, oh, if you don't have sentience, for example, then you aren't, right? you know, mm-hmm. or you mm-hmm. don't have uh, consciousness, then you're not, no, that's not the way it works. Cause you can't reduce it. Uh, um, so I'll say that much and yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> but that's why see, that's why, because it's non-reductive that I think that's really what bothered me about, um, the only experience I have like reading or, or listening to Kinsella is where he went, you know, what even is self, you know, self-ownership, right? Okay. What even is self? I mean, I think, you know, who, who knows what that is? Let's, let's call it body ownership. No, stop. You've ruined it. Like, yeah, no. well, and body ownership you are not is, your meat sack. it's, it's, that's just one aspect of it. Right. In fact, yeah. right. that's not even an aspect. That's an element of an aspect, right? right. <laughs> right? You know? Um, so uh, yeah, I think, I, I think that whole realm is, is really interesting and, you know, Same. yeah. Same. So and that's why I'll never be a propertarian. Right. Not, yeah. all <laughs> not all rights are property rights. I'm sorry. A lot of them are, but I, not all. I've just started saying because I've also had like grievances with that. I've also I've just said that all rights are self ownership rights because that's where they yes. all derive from. Yes, right. Exactly. Property, yeah. Well, I think really, that's fair. Right. Because really, mm-hmm. property rights are just rights of exclusion, and the rights of exclusion yes. come from they they originate from yourself. Right. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Okay, I only have, I only have uh, two more questions, and then I'm ready to wrap it up. Um, the consent to sex is not consent to pregnancy. Okay, I want to address this one okay. because I actually agree with that, and the reason why I agree with that is because we are actually able to take actions to to mitigate. So if I, you know, um, 
if if a condom is used or if birth control pill is used, what we're saying is we aren't consenting to pregnancy. We're consenting to sex, but not to pregnancy. Now, that attempt to mitigate uh, conception can certainly fail. Um, but I do think that it's possible for somebody to uh, consent to sex and uh, not consent to the idea that that they're getting pregnant. Now, the process of conception itself is completely involuntary. You That's, have no control over it. It has nothing to do with it. That's so, yeah, like you don't have you don't have control over whether conception takes place. You don't even have control over whether the um, uh, the fertilized egg that the the zygote actually implants, unless you're taking some sort of you know, contraceptive pill that is. But then it's the only things you can do to improve the chances or, you know, you right. still have, you're not right. even, even a doctor doing it. Yeah. It's still yeah. just an attempt to control something that is largely beyond our control. Right. And the, the example that I use to actually illustrate this is with a woman who wants to be pregnant, but is infertile. If her giving consent to sex meant also giving consent to pregnancy, then she should be able to have control over whether she gets pregnant and she doesn't. That's a completely involuntary process. Mm -hmm. um, so the consent aspect is, is the sex, right? Um, and that's where women need to be making choices, you know, uh, making risk assessments and considering <laughs> trade-offs and, and all of those other things. And deploying that mitigations and yeah. Yeah. You can, you know, if, if you want to try to mitigate, yes, that's fine. You need to be aware of the risks and that you are not free from the consequences should those, you know, should your attempts fail. Um, and you need to take that into consideration right. when you take that action. Um, but I don't, I don't think that it's right to say that a woman who consents to pregnancy is consenting to mm -hmm. conception. That just doesn't, doesn't jive. I would, I would agree with that the way you just worded it there, Yeah. but not consent to sex is not consent to pregnancy, but consent to sex is acceptance of the risk Yes. Mm -hmm. of, of the natural consequences, uh, you know, that result from any action that you have, that you take. Right. Whether it's right. Like yeah. in a car is consenting to the risk of, or not consenting, is acceptance of the risk of getting into a car accident. Yes. You don't right. get to go, you know, if, if you go, well, I didn't consent to this car accident. Right. It, your bones it, aren't going to magically knit back so, together. And, right. And, right. Uh, <laughs> you know, the car, the car example is really, really good because um, I was thinking of this the other day uh, and I, I was responding to just this argument. It's like, if you're going down a car and you're speeding, right. Um, and you slam and you see a kid in the street and you slam on your brakes, there's still a moment of like, the, it's determined, like you're not going to be able to stop in time, even if you slammed on your brakes. Uh, so if you hit that kid, you're still responsible, even if mm -hmm. you didn't, you know, consent. even if you tried to avoid him, that's right. Even if you yeah. tried to avoid it, even, and you stopped, you did everything you could at that time to stop. And, but you still hit the kid. You were still, um, you know, responsible for the action ultimately, even right. if it was not in com mm -hmm. your complete control. So right. I think that's, uh, yeah. I forgot what my second question was going to be. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I I had I had I had like two pages of notes with questions wrote out and I cannot find my notebook anywhere. Oh bummer! It, so I I, I quickly we tried to write up. Yeah. Um. Any of you guys not start pro choice? I mean, pro life. Any any guys start pro choice to kind of like develop your views and change your views, or do you all kind of stay pro life and just consistently? I'd secure? say 
I mean, I started out pro-life because my parents were pro-life. I would say that there, there came a point where I started listening to some of the really terrible stories that women had experienced that, that led them to abort. Um, so these aren't your, you know, these aren't the women out there who are like, I'm, I'm going to, you know, um, name my, my next abortion after you or whatever. These are, these are the women who were actually going through hell. Right. And once I started hearing those stories and, and genuinely listening for crying out loud, mm -hmm. um, you can genuinely listen to the plight of these women because it's real. Um, and I think that the more we, the more that we can give empathy in those situations that are really tough or traumatic or, you know, whatever, the, the better, the, the, the better we are at able, uh, at, at bridging that divide. Right. Um, and seeing their own humanity. But yeah, for about 10 years, I stopped talking about abortion entirely because after listening to those stories, it was like, I don't know how to solve this problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, it was, it wasn't until the um, the uh, abortion abolition movement came out and said, "We're going to start passing legislation calling women who abort, you know, first degree murders and sticking the death penalty to them." And I was like, "Whoa, wait, wait a second, right. <laughs> hold up! All right, I'm coming back." <laughs> right. Mm. I I never really I didn't. I knew I was pro-life, but I never really knew any of the arguments. And then uh, Stephen Crowder did that uh, I'm pro-life changed my mind video. Mm. And that's where I kind of got most of the arguments. And then, like, okay, this actually has some merit behind it besides, well, God made it, so it has to be valued. You know, there's some more. Right, yeah. There's more there's, merit we there, we there, default there. to that when, you know, when we're raised in the church, sort of. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Which I think is yeah. a mistake. I, 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 there's so many oh, positions yeah. that church teaches and Christians hold that I think are good, but they derived it from stupid reasoning. And they, they don't argue for them at all correctly. And it, it's just, it's so painful to watch. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, and if they were persuasive, I mean, half of the women who abort are self-professing Christians. So if, yeah. uh, you know, I don't, I, I wouldn't say it's easy to say, well, maybe they're just not real Christians. No, there's something else going on and we should address it instead of trying to say, nope, this is. Mm -hmm. This is a theological argument, or this is yeah. a matter of faith, and you just don't have enough of it. If I'm debating somebody and they say they've had an abortion, I kind of just stop debating. I don't want to change their mind, honestly, because then they have to accept the fact that they've done something. And I don't want to be that guy to give that to them, you know? Mm -hmm. So if they say they've had an abortion, I kind of just stop and sit back. I don't want to... Yeah. If I if I do convince them, then they have to live with the fact they had an abortion. You know, right. I don't want to be that guy. So I, I, I I don't talk about abortion that much just for that reason, actually, but it was, I yeah. felt like I got pulled into it because like, I was so frustrated that they kept telling me my analogy was not uh, exactly the same. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, well, wait a minute. Walk me through why it's wrong. And I'll How dare you have wrong. an analogy that's an analogy? Right. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Yeah. And it was like, I, so, so I usually don't talk about this and I, I'm the same way, right? If like someone really struggled and they had an abortion, I have nothing but empathy for those people. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, that's, uh, so like when, when you have all these people coming at you and they're telling you, well, uh, you know, they're just giving you terrible arguments. I'm like, okay, I, this is, they're obviously coming from a place of emotion here. Right. And yeah. not really rationality whatsoever. If you could give, no, oh, I'll say the question for later. Um, libertarians are kind of split on abortion. Yeah. They're very split on. I don't, I have, maybe I've never been pro-choice. I don't really see 
good arguments from the libertarian to our pro-choice. I don't see anything really convincing uh, there. So besides, the, besides evictivism, that's the only right. Really yeah, I was going to say uh, evictionism. So this ultimately comes down to the, uh, in my opinion, um, it comes down to the belief whether you believe the fetus has rights or not. Right. So ultimately, that's the crux of the issue for libertarians. If you're a libertarian who believes that the fetus does not have right until a certain amount of time after you know gestation, then you're going to, from a libertarian perspective, you're logically going to support the right to abort up until that point. It's, it's all, they don't view it as a, a human with rights. Right. Um, I think if you do view now, see, there are some libertarians, and this is actually what caused me to like talk about this because it was originally a libertarian I was talking about with abortion. If you're a libertarian and you do believe the fetus has rights, I think there is only I think the only logical conclusion you can come to is that it is an aggression because your eviction is uh, disproportionate to oh, yeah. the act. So I tend to think that pro-choice and pro-life libertarians have way more common ground than they want to admit. Mm -hmm. um, and I think part of it is because, I mean, Walter Block's argument aside, because not all libertarians are evictionists either. Um, you know, you have a lot of the blue-pilled people who are just uh, parroting the <laughs> parroting the, the conventional pro-choice arguments. Um, but, you know, both pro-life and pro-choice libertarians believe that there should be no taxpayer-funded abortions. Um, they both believe that um, the market should respond to it. Um, and so there's no reason why, you know, pro-choicers who are motivated to provide products and services that um, are intended to better prevent unwanted pregnancies. That's that's an, an economic aspect that we can all agree on. Um, I think we can all agree that uh, the market can also provide products and services um, that provide life-affirming options when unplanned pre pregnancies or unwanted pregnancies occur. Um, and so, uh, you know, given all of that, and we also believe in bodily autonomy and agency of, of the woman and self-ownership. And so when we look at all of all of the areas where we have common ground, suddenly abortion becomes a pretty small issue. So that's not to say that it's an issue that can be dismissed, but I think that we do, a, do ourselves a disservice by saying that we're so divided on it. We actually have quite a bit of common ground. Mm -hmm. um, and if we actually also start talking about um, the problems with, you know, enforcement, how we're, we're also, we should all be anti-authoritarian when it comes to um, enforcing, you know, criminal law, mm -hmm. uh, there would be more common ground there as well. So then the question really is, does a fetus have rights and does a woman have to recognize them? But we have a ton of common ground elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, when it comes to promoting libertarian candidates, I think a pro-lifer could very easily say, look, we understand that, you know, the, the flank of the libertarian party says this, but let me tell you where we have all this common ground and why, why these are good things, whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, and there's mm -hmm. still room to have this dialogue about the philosophical nature of, you know, the, the self-ownership or rights of the fetus. Mm. Um, what would be, if you could give one lesson or one like a uh, critique of improvement for the traditional pro-lifers, 
what would you guys recommend to them? Like, what would what would like a critique you would give them? Be like, hey, this is one thing to do when you can improve on. Do not be so abrasive and terrible about it. Like, what would be some of you uh, advice you would give them? Stop clinging to the Republican Party and the idea that we're just going <laughs> to overturn Roe v. Wade the next time yes. around. Yeah. Like, get over it already. It's not going to happen. Yeah, start focusing on, like, uh, emergency pregnancy clinics and things like that. Yeah. And um, start, think about, save, like, saving more children than, like, critiquing, you know, going after women necessarily who are, you know, who might be in a bad spot and who might have had an abortion. You know, just focus on trying to mitigate this problem as best as possible, I would say. Mm. Yeah, put your money where your mouth is. Like, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Stop doing that. You know, it's cliche, but it's it's necessary. I mean, yeah, we have an epidemic of of kids in foster care. Yeah. The Christian community can literally solve that in like a month. <laughs> like, there's so many Christian households put up or shut up. You know take in a kid or two yeah. like come on stop, um, stop donating to the government to make them solve your problems yeah you could solve them. right it's yes, it's my absolutely. philosophy for everything you know develop implement promote and use alternatives to state violence for the problems people look to state violence to solve we can eliminate the foster care system and and you know most of dcf's function mm -hmm. just by taking in foster kids agreed yeah. absolutely oh, agreed what's the one what's the what's the we, uh, how to put this? As pro-life people, we get called a lot of names: anti-choicers, forced, uh, forced bursters. What are some of the? Uh, if you, besides those, have you guys heard any other kind of funny names for the pro-life position? Right now, I'm trending for advocating sexual slavery. Oh, you call it? <laughs> yes. Sexual oh, slavery. Oh man. I, I can't. Like sexual birth. Like really, guys? No, that's not how it works. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't heard any other ones besides those, but yeah. I've never heard the sex or slavery one. Sex, sex yeah, that's slavery new to me. That's, 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 a... that's the last forty-eight hours. That's that's probably thanks to the the Handmaid's Tale mm, stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I I've never I, I I probably wanted to watch that just so I could know what the hell everyone's going on about. But every time I even think about it, I just I cringe just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I don't want to do it. I tell people like people people are like, oh, this is a this is a, a you know pro-life dystopia. And I said, no, it's about authoritarian government trying to control your body. <laughs> like that's what it's about. Yeah. It's not about being pro-life. But I bet you this Halloween, we're gonna see someone wear a sexy handmade sale costume with no <laughs> completely unironically. Unironically. Completely unironically, they're gonna wear a sexy handmade sale costume. I, I can see it now, and I'm already upset about it. <laughs> I'm already upset. I want to like want to see the person just like spaz out on it. <laughs> it's it's yeah. weird that that they so desperately want to apply this dystopian concept, you know, in The Handmaid's Tale to what we're living now. It's like, are you like it, it's weird. It, I don't know. I don't know who came up with it or, but it's, but it's almost like they, they created their own boogeyman, you know, for yeah. their own uses. It's kind of the impression that I'm getting from the way that they're using it. Even my own sister. I'm like, well, were we raised in the same house? Like what is wrong with you? You guys, you guys know that Roe v. Wade paves the way for a handmaid's tale. Oh yeah. Cause, cause what Roe v. Wade says is that, um, a woman's liberty interest 
uh, is subject to state interest. Right. That's what it's subject to. And so a woman can abort so long as it's within the state's interest. Right. And if it's not right now, it just happens to be that abortion, legal abortion happens to be within state interest. Yeah. Um, but if it ever turns out that making more babies um, is, is in the state interest, Roe v. Because Wade gives declining birth rate. Yeah. Roe v. Wade gives them grounds to, to do that. Right. Yeah. And all legal arguments end there, right? All legal arguments end in, okay, they're going to allow us to do this while right. they allow us to do this, right? So it's yeah, like, yeah. Uh, yeah it's a circle. Yeah. Roe v, what Roe v. Wade did was it allowed, it allowed the government to regulate abortion and it also allowed the government to regulate pre pregnancy, even for, even for women who want their babies, right? Um, pregnancy is, is regulated. Um, so it's not about... <laughs> It's not about bodily autonomy and agency. The Roe v. Wade is 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 as terrible for women as it is for fetuses. Oh yeah. Um. Last thing. Last thing. I say everyone plug yourself after this. Um. There's no like the, the, we always talk about the lack of empathy they have towards the fetuses, mm -hmm. but I, I don't get like if if I was talking to somebody and they generally saw like um when I walk outside and. I swore to, let's say an example here. Um, if water was poisonous, or that's not a good example. What I'm trying to say is like, if we believe it's a life and that life is being murdered, they don't care at all that we have. Like, like if someone came to me and they kind of like, hey, I think you're murdering someone or something, I would be at least open to their idea because it's like, okay, I, maybe I am. I They want to mock us for caring about it. You know, like, I didn't make this abortion to you. You know, it's like, the person here is generally upset and caring about what they even if you think they're wrong they perceive something to be loss of life here and they just don't care there's no empathy towards the other person at all i don't i don't get that like apathetic they're so apathetic about it. i don't get it you guys have any comment on that I just... well i sort of blame that on the pro-life side because the pro-life the conventional pro-life side still infantilizes women you're you know you're at best an incubator or um, a, a victim that needs a man's protection. So get married instead of, mm -hmm. you know, having an abortion. Um, the the pro-life side does not have, the conventional pro-life side, I don't think has a very high view of women at all. Um, and so from a pro-choice perspective, what you're hearing somebody say is um, you're not you're not capable of making this decision for yourself. You need to have somebody to, to take care of you. Yep. And that's that's been the paradigm. I mean, I'm not a feminist, but that has been the paradigm for a lot of human history is women are weak and need to be protected by a husband or women are weak and need to be protected by the state. There isn't really this category for um, women are strong and capable and can make decisions for themselves and are also responsible for those decisions. For their actions, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I think the best thing that libertarian and anarchist pro-lifers can do is emphasize the self-ownership, the bodily autonomy and agency of the woman, that she is empowered to make decisions for herself, but that that means she is also responsible for her decisions. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, I think this like it, it's very important to like point this going back to what you're saying, like, you know, I, I think what you get what you hear a lot, and this actually dovetails nice into what we were saying before about like um 
how some of them will seem to be very callous, right? Like they'll call it a, a clump of cells, right? It's like, well, medical you know, waste. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, I, I agree with Carrie though, like uh, how this is kind of a fault of like the arguments, the pro, uh, the pro-life people have made in yeah. the past. They feel like they, I, I, if I'm being very generous to them, I, I would imagine they feel like kind of cornered in some way when they mm -hmm. uh, hear these arguments even if like so if they hear like a libertarian or an anarchist making a pro-life argument they're going to assume you're just a republican right, right that's, yeah. that's what they're going to assume in their head yep so it makes sense why they'd be so defensive about it but i do think it's really important to always say you know no we're not talking that we're not saying you don't have a right to your body we're just saying that this other being is a rights-bearing creature and they have rights that must be respected as well yeah yeah, I'm getting that a lot of that right now in this mm -hmm. current discussion. This, <laughs> this, you're advocating for force and da, 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 show me, show me where I have, because I actually haven't. We're right. just talking about what's just and what's not, what's true, what's a truth claim and what's not, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's very emotionally charged. Yeah. Very. Actually, reminds me, I wanted to bring up the whole right to privacy thing. That's why I keep hearing a lot is like, you don't have a, uh, it's a private medical affair and you don't have a right to comment on that. Like I, I that one to me is probably the most frustrating because like in any other circumstance where it's another individual, it's two individuals or, you know, one individual, obviously the, the process who I murder is, is private affairs. It's, you know, completely private. Which, which is so strange because many of them favor these vaccine mandates. Um, yeah, lady, literally who's the same uh, pro-choice and ma vaccine mandate in a ha bio. Like, it was a handle, wasn't it? <laughs> Oh, God. Was like pro yes. vaccine yes. and she even asked me on twitter did you are you vaccinated just randomly out of the blue and i just told her no my body my choice and then i just uh, she blocked me after that, so. and the conversation died yeah so yeah well it's interesting that their view of my body my choice means they get to make decisions about other people's other bodies people's bo right right, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, where, they, that's where the consistency is right whenever they say it's a private medical decision it's like okay there are two parties in this medical decision at least yeah right? you and the child but the child can't consent to it or like anything. So is it really private if you're encroaching on their bounds? It's like, well, right. no, it's. Yeah, no. It's, well, not, no, it's the same thing. Like if you've got, if you caring for your ailing grandparents in, you know, in the spare bedroom and you're tired of taking care of them, it's not a private medical decision to euthanize them unilaterally. Right. Like, right. Or, or marital rape that happens in the bedroom. Right. <laughs> You know, it's like, uh, and I'm, I'm certain that they that they're opposed to that. But you know what, we're not allowed to actually talk about crimes that might happen in the bedroom. Right, right. secret um, crimes are still crimes, guys. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> it's honestly, I, I have, I, I'm sort of all some some people out there who make good pro choice arguments. I just haven't run across any of them. Yeah, like I. I'm, I, I, I applaud them. Right? Like I, I go berserk trying to encourage them. Like somebody said, started one last night. I'm like, okay, yes, good, awesome. Let's okay, let's talk about this. You know, I try mm -hmm. to be like it's like teaching toddlers. You know, when they do the when they put the block in right, you yeah. go extra exuberant over the top. You know, encouraging them. Right. To try to positive reinforce that behavior, positively reinforce mm -hmm. that behavior. Well, and I think that the good pro-choice arguments and um, to some degree, I'd say uh, Beverly Wildung Harrison's argument is 
good in one sense and that she's arguing for bodily autonomy and an agency. And even Judith Jarvis Thompson's violinist is a good argument as far as it goes, um, which is against medical coercion. But in both of those cases and in Marianne Warren's case, um, they just overstate their claims, right? Mm -hmm. They're, they're overstating the authority that a woman has um, over the fetus. Um, and so that's where they, that's where they run into issues They're They start out with good arguments as far as they go, but then they overstate the claim. Yeah. Yep. I think all of them boil down to that. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, it's been about an hour and a half. Uh, anybody have anything you want to add before we do the plugs or, um, analogies are not equivalencies. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going I'm to have a t-shirt made. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yes. I mean, the yeah. Venn diagram does not have to overlap one-to-one -to, -one to be legitimate in any way. <laughs> so, yeah. I, that's, do, that's... I actually do want to get you guys' take um, because it was something that was just created. It was an argument that was come up with in a vacuum, um, sort of, in a way. Um, it was a, a, my own way of thinking it through and, and reasoning through it. I was having a discussion with some people way back in the day um on google plus just before it closed down mm, i missed the post but <laughs> i i was trying to reason through whether you know who has a claim to what in this situation where there's a mother and the developing individual um and i sort of stumbled onto this like wait hold on how does this work then it's inside her body mm -hmm. giving mm -hmm. it at least worth fleshing out shared ownership claim, right? To her body, because it's in hers. But she's not inside its body at all, giving her zero claim to its body. So it's like this biological catch-22, you know, bio, biologically, philosophically, I don't know. But is that, does, is that completely crazy? I, no, I, I don't think so. Um, I, I think to a certain extent, right? Um, so even if like, so what, in the argument when I was on, on Twitter, I, I was just conceding like they have the right to evict, you know? But yeah. um, I think that leaves out also something in particular, which is that if you create, if you're in, through libertarian like ethics, if you create someone in a vulnerable position, you're you're responsible to get them out of that vulnerable position, yeah. right? So like um, if, for example, if I was like, um, if I, going back to the plane analogy, if I was a pilot, <laughs> You just can't if help I, it. Yeah, if I was a pilot and I had a group of passengers in my plane, I couldn't just decide, okay, well, I'm good. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to stop caring and I'm just going to, you know, parachute out of the plane and let the plane, you know, crash or something. That would obviously still be murder, right? Because I'm yeah. still responsible for the passengers, even yeah. if, you know, I can't just abandon my duties. Um, so I do think that uh, the if you're a parent, you do have a responsibility for your children unless you like transfer your guardianship rights to you know someone else or something like that yeah. um, but so, even then it's not ownership right they're still so that my my kids are still self-owners oh right yeah 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 yes. have a stewardship rights yes. over that stewardship yes yeah you that, but that's yeah, you do it, not own right? your and stewardship never involves the right to destroy or harm that's right that yeah you do not so, it, like yeah to kinsella does talk about um when like in terms of, of crime, like if somebody steals your TV or whatever, then you actually have a proprietary interest in in the person who stole your TV, not just to get the TV back, but 
you know, uh, some sort of recompense or, or restitution. And um, so the fact that a uh, your offspring it are, is brought into the world against their will uh, through your action creates a proprietary interest between mm -hmm. parent okay. and offspring. So parents don't own their children per yeah. se, but there is a proprietary interest between the two of them. And one thing that I argued um, in my, in the debate with Walter Block was that the reason why uh, states can't create positive obligations or positive rights is because they lack the proprietary interest mm -hmm. that exists between parents and the children. Right. Um, and I would say that that proprietary interest fades over time as the child becomes his own human actor. And right. yeah, um, more capable of managing that self-ownership that, yeah. that they so, exist with. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, there's definitely a proprietary interest there such that the parents um, are obligated to the fetus in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I wondered about, you know, is there, is, is the ownership claim of the fetus on the shared ownership claim of the fetus on the mother stronger than, you know, her going, well, you know, then I own the fetus I've, I've, that's come up like, no, you don't, you're not inside their body at all. Well, and, and there are, there are biological adv uh, advantages in normal situations. There are biological advantages to the woman to be when she's pregnant. Yeah. Um, I, I can't benefit on her. Yeah, there is, there is conferring some benefit. Amazing skin and hair and nails. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Amazing skin hair. Yeah. That, um, actually there's, there's some, um, and I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it, there's some anti-cancer properties that come along, oh, yeah. anti-breast cancer properties that come along because of breastfeeding and all of that. Chance. Yeah. Um, so breastfeeding and with all of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that you definitely have, um, uh, I think that there is an ar an argument for common property between the two of them, um, and both of them benefit from that. Uh, um, but yeah, that's that's one that needs to be like worked out. Yeah. Yeah. My my formulation I was kind of like um, even if I because what I was doing is like even if I accept that they can evict. It, it, you when you're evicting someone like if you, if someone just drops a like a piece of property or they discard a piece of property onto your property right and they just abandon it you can do whatever you want with it you can break it you can throw it away you can do whatever but when you're dealing with a rights bearing creature on mm -hmm. your property you can't dispose of it any way you can't evict it or exclude it from your property in any way you wish at any time and that was really the crux of my argument right so mm -hmm. like uh if someone drops a baby off on your doorstep i i use the analogy you can't just like field goal kick it off your property right, yeah. uh, <laughs> and, uh, right? so uh your eviction must respect to a proportional level the rights of the other person in the eviction um, so, well, but and I, it requires communication and consent. Yes. And, you know, it's and not the baby just, and the fetus can't leave, mind you. Right. <laughs> right? So they're kind of trapped there. So they, that yeah. capability and communication, like, okay, you can, yes, you can, you can, you know, rescind your consent to sex at any time, even when he's inside you. But that doesn't mean from the moment you decide in your head, you can now kill him. Right. Exactly. If, if that was true, you, you have to communicate that to him and then, and give him the chance to withdraw right. before you can claim defense. If you could immediately just withdraw it at any time, or I mean, you can withdraw it, but it's on the other person. You have to give them a reasonable amount of time. If it was not like that, you could invite someone to your house, say, nope, you're trespassing now and I get to shoot you. Right. Yeah. So that, that would just be like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm. 
Let's respond to uh, this real quick. The abortion argument isn't a good look for promoting anarchy. Please stop. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, I, I, I stop promote, advocating against murder, guys. I, well, I mean, I promote anarchism in a lot of different ways. So it's like, I, I, I'm doing, I, I'm talking about abortion right now. So I, I don't really know what to say besides where you, you don't need to constantly be talking about anarchism in every point in time or promoting it in every, you know, people are going to promote it in different ways. And it's not always going to align with what you, um, you know, want out of anarchist arguments, but, and that's fine. But, you know, uh, we don't have to, you know, argue over the same anarchist things every single day. Sometimes it's fun to get into the, like the really hot topics. I don't know. I, I promote anarchy as the solution to abortion. Right. Yeah. So, right. Exactly. Like, yeah. Well, uh, and, the, and, and, and I, you touched on it a, a little while ago, Carrie, when you said, you know, we're talking about how the traditional or the, the, whatever it was, um, pro, pro-lifers, mm-hmm. there's, there's, you know, having this, this, I don't know what to call it. Um, like a litmus test of, you know, you got to declare Jesus and then you can get in kind mm-hmm. of thing. We, we can promote what we want to see, right. We want to see, you know, spontaneous order and, you know, the abolition of the state, whatever we can do that in a way that isn't browbeating anarchism into people's heads. Right. I, I've been arguing for three days about abortion and I haven't said that I'm an anarchist a single time. Right. You know, it's the principle of it. It stands alone. You don't have to slap an anarchist label on it. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. It all comes yeah. from the same place, right? Your anarchism yeah. informs all of these other things and you don't yeah. need to be advocating anarchism as a whole to necessarily focus on, you know, the minutia and the, like the, I don't want to say it's a little art, it's a little problem, but it's, you know, it's one of the many problems or that yeah. we might see. So. And it's not how we're converting people to anarchism. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's just. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, uh, I'm at aces because you guys don't get the same objection. How do you ace? How do you respond to the whole "you're a man, you can't have an opinion on this"? Yeah. <laughs> oh well, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but I can have an opinion on medical malpractice. You know what I mean? No, you like, can't. It's... No, you can't. Right? Oh, right. <laughs> that, there you go. That's a good point. <laughs> right. You're not an expert. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like you know, I, I can people can have opinions on whatever they want to, and you can't stop them. So you know. Well, yeah. you know, I would say if you're going to peg uh, men as being a hundred percent at fault for pregnancy, then they're gonna ha- they're you're gonna have to let them have an opinion right. on abortion. Right. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. ridiculous. I think we've covered most of the common objections from both sides, kind of critiqued everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would libertarians do best? We just could look at everybody and say, you're all stupid. Here's the answer. That's <laughs> um, why I became a libertarian. I love, I love looking at everybody and be like, no, 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 you're wrong. Let me explain. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have any more questions. Anybody want to add anything? Anyone talk about anything specific about this topic? I mean, I'm happy to keep going. I normally stream for about an hour, hour 45, two hours. So if y'all want to keep it going, cut it off. It's all up to y'all. I think I'm all talked out. Um, if I, if I, if I can plug my book, um, the, the book that I co-authored with the guys from LCI faith seeking freedom, you can get that on, um, Amazon. And, uh, I wrote the chapter on abortion, um, and contributed to other parts as well. Um, but that's a really good book. I think it's like 10 bucks on, on Amazon. And if you guys like listen, like the uh, read it, enjoy it. I uh, my one of my early episodes on the podcast is a book club episode with uh, Carrie and uh, Doug Stewart. 
Doug yeah. Stewart about it. So if you very early episode, my sound quality of Mike Rutea voice, no video. Seems like <laughs> third episode. So uh, bear with me, but it's a good episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think I have much. Uh, you can follow me at uh, Ace underscore Arcus on Twitter, and you can see me debating people uh, incessantly when I should be sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> How much sleep do you actually get? So I, someone asked me this on Twitter. I get around, I only need like four to five hours of uh, sleep a day, like mm -hmm. usually a night. Yeah. I probably should, I really should get more, but uh, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I'm like that. Ellie, <sighs> uh, where, where can people find you at? I mostly just on Twitter. I finally actually was given back access to Facebook. Um, and, and so I'm trying to, I try to be a little bit of everywhere just for the broader audience, but I am almost entirely on Twitter these days. Yeah, same here. Well guys, been another episode of the Catholic Libertarian podcast. Um, hope you've all enjoyed the stream, uh, hit the notification bell, like, subscribe and share the show. Oh, I hit the wrong every time. I, every time I go to end the stream, <laughs> I hit the thumbnail for the background and not the actual. <laughs> uh, I always every. <laughs>